series that I started a few weeks ago out of the book of Jude. But before we get into this, I want to talk a little bit about the topic that we're going to talk about tonight, but I want to just kind of set the stage for it a little bit. So I've got a question for everybody. Uh, who in here has been afraid? Afraid. Been af- you've had fear in your life. At some point in time, you had fear or you were afraid of something. I think we would all at some point in time say that there's been a time in our life that we've had fear in our life, right? And I want to think about, if you think about fear, and as I was looking at it, you know, fear is a noun, so it, it, fear can be a thing, or, you know, not a th- tangible thing, but fear, the fear, right? But it's also a verb, which means it's an action, we can fear something. And I don't want to get into that too much, but I want to stop and think about the power of fear, right? And so I was, I was trying to think of some really good illustrations, and I, I couldn't come up with any real good stories to tell. But I just want to talk and think just a little bit about um, the fact that, you know, fear can either get somebody to do something or fear can prevent somebody from doing something, right? You know anybody that, um, well, let me ask this. Who likes to swim? Like to, you know, swim? Is there anybody that only will swim in a swimming pool where you can see the bottom? In other words, you won't swim in the ocean You won't swim in a lake where you can't see the bottom. Well, why is that? Why are there some people that have no problems? You know, they'll go off the high dive in a swimming pool, and they'll swim through the deep water as long as it's a swimming pool, and they can see the bottom. But you put them in a boat in three foot of water, and they won't get out because they can't see the bottom. Why is that? They're afraid of something. Maybe it's they're afraid of the Leviathan coming out of the bottom to get them. I don't know. Maybe they're afraid of the snakes they saw, you know, when they were a kid. You know, maybe they're in the south and they're afraid of an alligator going to get them. But the thing of it is, is there's a fear of something that's preventing them from doing something, right? Or how many times, and and I'm going to, I'm not going to pick on the kids, but parents, how many of you have kids that uh, are afraid of the dark? And I won't ask how many were afraid of the dark as kids, but you know, why is that? Why, why are some people, and you stop and think about the dark. I mean, uh, I could pick on Nathan, but I guess I won't. But, you know, there's times where you ask somebody to do something, like take the trash out to the end of the driveway, and it's dark out, and he won't do it because it's dark out there. Well, why won't he take it out there? Because it's dark. But so What? Well, there's scary stuff in the dark. And so I'm not going to do that, right? Or stop and think about this. You know, um, people have been motivated to do things because of fear. You know, we, hopefully nobody's ever experienced this firsthand, but we see where, like, somebody's kidnapped and there's a ransom being paid because they're afraid that if they don't give the money that something will happen to the person that was kidnapped, right? They, they do something that they normally wouldn't do out of fear of what might happen to a loved one. Or, um, you know, there's just occasions where fear can actually motivate us to, to actually do something. And so fear can be a hindrance thing, or fear can be a motivator thing, 
but we all kind of understand the fact that there's this emotion, this, this feeling, there's this, this fear. Now, when we get into the Bible, when you talk about fear, there's, I mean, it gets kind of complicated, and I'm not going to get into all of it, but, you know, a healthy fear of, the, well, let me back up, and one more illustration. So, if you stop and think about your children again, um, why do children obey you? Because it's the fear of the punishment that they're going to get if they don't obey you, right? I mean, you know, you stop and a kid, they run out in the street, and you say, you know, you tell them don't run out of the street, and they do that, and you give them punishment so that they don't run out in the street. So then the next time they go to do that, hopefully they don't because they're afraid of what will happen if they run out in the street, right? And you stop and think about it, and of course, does that work for all kids? No, right? I mean, there's some kids that, you know, they realize that if I do this action, there's a consequence to it. And if I get caught doing that, then I'm going to have to pay for it. But there's some kids that don't care. They're going to do it anyhow. And then there's other kids that they think they're going to do that, but then they remember the punishment and they're afraid of the punishment or they're fearful of the punishment, and so they choose not to do it so that for them, that fear is a motivator of not doing something, right? And so as we think about that and as we think about fear, as we think about when we get into fear in the Bible, the Bible says that uh, God didn't give us the spirit of fear, but of power and of a sound mind. Well, that fear that he's talking about is that fear of kind of like the fear of the dark, the fear of the what's in the water type of thing. It's, he didn't give us that kind of fear. But the Bible does say that we should fear God and fear his wrath. And that a fear is more like we were talking about with children and a punishment. It's like, you know, we should realize that we serve a holy, righteous God, and there's a punishment associated with sin, and because of that, there's a penalty that has to be paid. And if we truly realize that we should fear the wrath of God, then we're going we're gonna to talk about this tonight, and this is what we're going to talk about tonight, is that, that fearing the wrath of God and as a motivator. And there's really two things tonight that I'm, I'm really, there's a double challenge tonight, um, and we'll get into it more, but it's all around fear and motivating us because of fear, not only because we should fear God and His judgment, but also because of those around us that maybe don't fear God because they don't know. It's kind of like, you know, you ever have a group of kids, and they're, you, you've watched them, and, and they're, uh, they're, you can see them planning something, and you know they're about to get in trouble, and then one of the kids will say, but if we do that, we're going to you know, we're going to get caught, and this is punishment's going to happen to us, so we shouldn't do that. And that one person may be able to talk them out of not doing it because they're the ones that are afraid. The other, the other in the group, eh, we don't care, but the one talks them out of it because of, of them being concerned about the fear, the wrath of the punishment. So the whole group doesn't do it because of the one. And that doesn't happen all the time, but there is occasionally where one person, because of the fear of what can happen, talks the rest of the group, and well, we, we probably really shouldn't do that. So that's kind of what we're going to talk about tonight. So if you've got your Bibles, Jude, you should be in the book of Jude. We're going to start in verse 20, and so this will be, again, the third in this series. So if you remember, we, we started out with, well, we started out with talking about the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
And we talked about the fact that God's mercy, uh, He bestows it upon us every day. And we talked about the fact that it's, it's God's mercy. And if you remember the definition of mercy or the, the concept of mercy is the mercy is the withholding of something that you deserve. So we're all born sinners and there's a penalty for sin and we all deserve death because of our sin. But yet God and His mercy has prevented, shown a way that we can not have to have that penalty. It's His mercy that He withholds it from us. And then we talked about the fact that God's mercy every day that we have a breath that we're left here on earth, if we're saved, then it's His mercy that we have the opportunity to be a witness. If we're not saved, if we haven't accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, then it's His mercy that He's left us here to still have another opportunity to receive Him and to accept Him as our Savior. And it's every day His mercy is bestowed upon us. And then we talked about, uh, last Wednesday, we talked about that the Bible says, and some having compassion making a difference. And we talked about that compassion and that love that Jesus Christ has and that how there are some people that we can win to Christ through our love, through our compassion to them and sharing with them the love of Christ and the compassion that he has towards us because we can only share what we've seen, what we know, right? So as, we, as we've experienced the love of Christ, then we can share that with others and share them, hey, we have a Savior that died for us, that died for me. We have a Savior that gave his life on the cross to pay for my sins. And not only did he did my sins, but he did your sins as well. And he wants you to be in heaven just like he wants me to be in heaven. And we can share that message of salvation with those around us. And that, you know, there's some people that will respond to that message of love. But then there's some that won't. Remember we talked about the woman at the well? And how when, when, when she finally believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God, and she went into town and told some, remember, some just believed her word, and others didn't. Others had to come out and see Jesus for themselves, and they had to experience it for themselves. And then some believed because of that, but yet there were still others that still didn't believe either because of her word or Jesus' word. And that's the case. But the thing of it is, is the Bible says that we can win some because of our compassion. And then what we're going to talk about tonight, so last week the title was Winning Some with Love. Tonight it's Winning Some with Fear. And we're going to talk about that fear that we should have towards God and the fear that they should have towards the judgment of God. And we're going to look at that tonight. So if you would, out of the honoring of God's Word, if you'd stand with me, we're going to go ahead and read Jude 20 uh, through 23. The Bible says, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on the most holy faith, Praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for that mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and of some having compassion making a difference, and others save with fear. Notice that others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I pray, Lord, as we look at this passage, Lord, as we look at this concept of saving some with fear, Lord, I pray that you would help us to truly understand uh, just the, the fear that they should have towards your judgment because of your righteousness, Lord God, because you are a, the righteous judge. And Lord, we all deserve uh, to, to spend all of eternity in a lake of fire, but because of your mercy and because you loved us so much, you paid the price for our sins, and we just have to accept that gift of salvation. But Lord, we want to get that message out. We want people to understand your love and understand your judgment, Lord. 
And Lord, I just pray that you'd help as we take a look at this tonight, that you'd help us to grasp it and to understand it, and that it would motivate us to be a witness to those around us. I'd ask you all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you can be uh, seated. Now, again, if you look at this verse 22, it says, And some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear. So the whole idea here is that um, the writer Jude is telling us, you know, he's, he's, if we back up, he's reminded us of what the apostles have taught. He's reminded that remember back to what the apostles have taught and about Jesus and what he's done for us. And he's saying we're supposed to build ourselves up in the holy faith and remembering the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? So that we can take what we learned and we can fulfill the commission that God's called us as Christians to do and to go out and be a witness for him. And he says some of them you can save with love. Some of them you can show God's love and you can show what God has for us in heaven and how much God loves us. And some will be one that way but others won't. And then he said, some of them you're going to have to save with fear. You're going to have to show them the punishment that God has for them. You're going to have to show them that hell, fire, and brimstone. And I wore my, my fire tie tonight to just so you can get the visual of that fire and the flame. Not really, but, but Jude says that some you can win with fear. And so what I want to do is look at that tonight, but before we get there, I want to read for you 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6-11, through 11, and I want to point a couple things out. Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, and he says, Therefore, we are always confident, knowing whilst we are at home in this body. He says, so when we're in this body, we're absent from the Lord. He says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. You know, as, as Christians... Our, our Christian walk and our Christian, uh, well, our Christian walk, our Christian belief is all because of faith, right? I mean, because stop and think about it. Who in here saw Jesus on the cross? Who saw him raised? Who, saw, who spoke to him yesterday, like audibly? I mean, not just prayer and Bible word, but you, you actually, nobody, right? So then why do you believe? Because of your faith. So as we walk our Christian walk, we're walking by faith. We have faith that this book is God's word. We have faith that Jesus is the Son of God. We have faith that he died on the cross and he paid for our sins. That's all faith. Someday when we get to heaven, it won't be faith anymore. It'll be sight. We'll be able to see it. We'll see Jesus. We'll see the nail holes in his hands. We'll see him sitting beside, beside God the Father. It won't have to be faith anymore because we'll, we'll be there. We'll be living it at that point in time. So he says, while we're at home in this body, we're not with the Lord. We're absent from the Lord. He says, we walk by faith, not by sight. He says, we are confident, I say, that we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present from the Lord. He says, we would much rather be out of this body and with our Lord. Then he says, wherefore, we labor, whether present or absence, that we may be accepted of him. He's saying, you know, while we're here on earth, while we have the opportunity to serve him, we labor or we serve or we witness or we do his will because we want him to be proud of us, right? If you look at it, it says that we may be accepted of him. Now notice it says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that which he hath done, whether it be good or bad. 
Now, if you, if, if you know anything about your Bible, you know that pastor's been talking about this great white throne judgment we're going to talk about a little bit more. That's where the unbelievers are going to stand, and they're going to give an account of everything that they did. And all, everybody that hasn't accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior are going to stand before that great white judgment throne, and they're going to give an account of God. But the thing of it is, is we believers, the Bible says we're going to stand before Christ as well. And God's going to judge our works that we've done in this body for him as to whether they be, um, I forget how it goes, but hay, wood, stubble, or silver, gold, whatever, gold, something. But the wood, hay, stubble, if we were to put it in a fire, it'd be burned up, right? If we put gold in the fire, it just gets refined and we still have the gold. Well, when we get to heaven, God's going to look. He's not going to judge us for our sins. Our sins have already been paid for on the cross. God has already paid for our sins. But we as Christians, we have the opportunity to do work for Christ. We have the opportunities. He's, he's chosen to use man to reach other men for him. That's our work that we're called to do. And we're going to be judged when we get to heaven for the things that we've done. And so because of that, because I mean, stop and think about it. The thief on the cross, he received Jesus Christ moments before he died on the cross. Did he have the opportunity to do any work for Christ? No. But will he be in heaven? Yes. But when he gets there, when he stands and, and God judges him for his works, it's going to be a short judgment because there's no works for him to be judged on. But now stop and think about Paul and all of the work that he did for Christ. And all, when he stands before Christ and God judges all of the works that he's done, he's got a great reward coming. And so what Paul is telling the church at Corinth, he says, okay, knowing that we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, he says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are manifest in your conscience. He says, you know, we know that we all have to stand before a judgment seat of Christ. If you're unsaved, you're going to stand before him and be judged for all the things you did good and bad. You're going to be judged for your sins, and then you're going to pay for them in the lake of fire. If you're saved, you're going to stand before Christ, and Christ is going to judge your works, and you're going to have to give an account of why you did or didn't do things for him while you had the opportunity. And Paul's saying, because we know this, because we know the terror of the Lord, because we know, we want to persuade men and women. Well, what do we want to persuade? Well, if you're not saved... We want to persuade you that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He died on the cross for your sins, that He can be your Savior if you will let Him be. We want to persuade people of that. But we also want to persuade you that are Christians that you have a job to do as well. Don't you want to stand before Christ and have a whole bunch of works that you can show that you did for Him? And how, because, because why do we do works? We don't do works to get saved. We do works because we are saved. We do works because we want to show him that we love him. He calls us many, there's at least four different times of Christians where we're called to go and teach and preach and baptize and teach, right? We're called to go be, to go be a witness for him. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You know, fishing's work. Ask Brother Al. He's done it. Fishing's not, I mean, you think it's easy just sitting out in that boat throwing that, that bait in the water. No, it's work. Fishing for men's work. It's work that we're all called to do. And so the thing is, tonight, as we, as we finish up this little series, 
I'm calling you, I'm, I'm challenging you, I'm, I'm um, persuading you, hopefully, of the work that, you're, that you have the opportunity that you can do for Christ. And so, last week we talked about the fact that we can go out and we can win some with love, but tonight we're going to go and we're going to talk about the other side of that and talk about fear. So now, the first thing I want to take a look at is the hell we deserve. So, you know, the thing of it is, is if we're going to go out and we're going to show people the fear, why they should fear God, we have to understand why. Well, the first thing is, is that we all deserve hell, right? So Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10, There is none righteous, no, not one. I know most of you in here know this. The fact that we're born sinners, that we're born separated from God, we're born spiritually dead, we're born bound for the lake of fire. That's the way we're born. We're born condemned. And the thing of it is, is that none of us are righteous. And that we know Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. We know that the penalty for sin is death. And we're not talking about our physical death. We're talking about that spiritual death. And we know that, and we're going to look at here in a minute, the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And the Bible says is that that rich man died and was buried. And he went to hell. And today he's still in hell. And he's still in torments. And he still wants Lazarus to dip his finger in water and put it on his tongue. He would still love that. 2,000 years after Jesus told the story. And that wasn't a parable. That was a real story, a real account of Lazarus and some rich man that's burning in hell. Lazarus is in heaven with, with God. And the thing of it is, is that's what we all deserve. But because of the mercy of God, he sent his son to die on the cross for us so that we don't have to... Uh, have that penalty upon us you know it, it all started in adam and eve when in the garden when they sinned against god and god had to separate them because of the sin and the bible says that death by sin sin entered into the world and so that we're all born sinners um i know we're going to run out of time but that's okay turn over with me to luke 16 i know this is a, a very familiar story this is the story that jesus told of the rich man and lazarus and just for the sake of time, I'll just remind you the story. Jesus said there was a rich man in Lazarus, and Lazarus was a beggar that was outside the gates of, of the rich man's house, and he begged and had sores, and dogs licked his sores. And one day, Lazarus dies, and the Bible says the angels came and carried him into Abraham's bosom. And it says the rich man died as well, and it says he was buried. And it says that in hell, in torments, he lifted up his eyes. And I want to read a few things. I want you to notice in verse 23, it says, And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. Now, I don't understand all of it. Um, I know that uh, we read about Lazarus, or the rich man in hell, and then a great chasm, and we see Abraham's bosom, also referred to as paradise, where Abraham was and where Lazarus was. And, and they could see each other, or at least, at least the rich man could see him. And we know that the Bible teaches that when, when, when Jesus died on the cross and when he went to hell to pay for our sins, he, the Bible says that he took a, a, an army of saints up to heaven. And I believe, and this is my belief, I'm not 100% sure of this, but my belief is, is that when Jesus conquered hell in the grave, that he took all of the saved out of hell and took them to heaven. Because we just read that Paul says... To be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. Well, if those people that were saved are still in, in 
the paradise or in Abraham's bosom, then they're not with the Lord. And so I truly believe that they went up there, and then I believe that hell is expanding as it's filled with people. But the hell is still a place. And we know that when we get to Revelations, we're going to read this a little bit, the Bible says that in death and hell will be cast in the lake of fire. So hell and those there are going to go into the lake of fire. But right now, this rich man's in hell, lifting, he can, he can see. And I want you to notice that um, it says, And he cried, said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. I want you to notice there's a flame. And, and, and it's the flame that's tormenting him. And he, he's begging for just a, a tip of water on his tongue. That doesn't sound like a very pleasant place. That's the judgment of God on this rich man. That's what people that die and go to hell are experiencing today. This is the fear that we need to get into people then to understand that if they don't receive Jesus Christ as their Savior, this is what they have to experience. And then one day they're going to stand and we're going to get to the white judgment seat in a little bit, but they're, they're going to have to stand and then they're going to get thrown in the lake of fire and that that's, we need to get them to understand. And there's some people, I remember pastor's testimony, he said, I didn't get saved because of the love of God. He goes, I got saved because I didn't want to go to hell. Because I didn't want to go to that place of torment, that place of flame, that place of, of, um, of just constant anguish and pain and torment. The thing is, is and, there's, and there's a barrier, right? And the thing of it is, is in verse uh, 28, it says, he says, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou would send us to him my father's house, that I have five brethren, that they may test him. See, he remembers his family. It's not like he's down there, you know, and you hear people occasionally say, oh, I'm just going to go to hell and party with my friends. Oh, it's not going to be a party. There, it's not going to be a place of fun and joy. And it's not. And turn over to Mark 9. Matthew, Mark, Luke, a little back to the right, left, whichever way. Mark 9. So Jesus here is talking, and he's talking about hell. And he says in verse 42 of chapter 9 of the book of Mark, he says, And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. He said, And if thy hand offend thee, Cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than to have two hands and go to hell into the fire that never shall be quenched where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. That worm there is talking about your memories. It's talking about your thoughts. It's talking about the, it's, it's, it's the fact that you're going to remember. It's not like you're going to be, you know, like, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen like um, some of the cartoons where they show hell and they show the souls swirling and whatever and the moaning and the groaning. Well, they're going to remember. I truly believe, because the Bible says that the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men. I truly believe that they're going to remember the time that they had the opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior, and they're going to remember that for all of eternity. When they're in that pain and that torment and that suffering and that anguish, they're going to remember. They're going to remember when you knocked on their door and witnessed and they slammed the door in your face. They're going to remember when you handed them a track and they threw it down. They're going to remember when you showed them kindness and tried to witness to them and they didn't accept it. For all of eternity, that's what they're going to be in, in torments and pain and suffering and anguish. And the Bible says, 
where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And Jesus talks about it time and time again here in this passage, and I'm not going to go through all of it, but he talks about the fact that the fire is never going to be quenched and the worm's never going to die. That memory's not going to go away. You're not going to get numb to it. It's not like the fact that, you know, after a while, it's like, ah, oh, you know, I, I just got used to that pain. Oh, no. You're not going to get used to it. It's going to be there forever. And this is the hell that each one of us deserves. And because of the mercy of God, we don't have to go there. But this is the hell. And this is the message. This is, this is what we need to persuade men about, is the fact that there is a real hell. It's a real place. Whether they believe it or not, it's a real place. The truth is the truth whether you believe the truth or not. It's still the truth, right? Now, so we see the hell we deserve. The next thing we see is the judgment and wrath of God. You know, people say, oh, well, you know, a gracious God, he, he, he wouldn't do that. Well, let's stop and look at the judgment of God for a minute. Genesis 6, 5 through 7, the Bible says, And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man who I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping things and fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. That's the judgment of God. God destroyed this earth. He's, fortunately, he found grace in the eyes of Noah, and he saved Noah and his wife and his three sons and his three daughter-in-laws. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. But God's judgment, because of the sin and wickedness of the world, God was willing, God destroyed it. So people say, oh, it's a, yes, he's a loving God, but he's also a just God. He's a righteous God. And a just and righteous God can't allow that to go on forever. We go to Genesis 18, 20 through 21. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah? Remember Lot and Abram? It says, And the Lord said, Because of the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done all together according to the cry of it, which is come unto me, and if not, I will know. Genesis 19, 24 and 25, it says, Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven, and he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the city which grew upon the ground. God's grace ran out on Sodom and Gomorrah. His mercy ran out because of the wickedness in those cities, and God's wrath rained down upon them. That fire and brimstone. God at some point, his judgment, his wrath his going, is going to be poured out. And we, and we know that you know, someday, uh, the next thing, God's going to come back and rapture his church and take it home. And then the great tribulation is going to happen. And then a lot of badness for seven years. Well, three and a half good and then three and a half bad. But then we know Christ is going to come after that. But God's judgment, his wrath isn't stayed forever you know we i i you stop and so god destroyed the whole world god destroyed sodom and gomorrah if you stop and think about korah when moses was leading the people in the wilderness and there was the leader korah that rose up and he brought some of the other leaders with him and they stood up against moses who remembered moses was god's man and god judged them and remember what happened the earth opened up and swallowed them and fire destroyed them why because of the wrath and judgment of god the wrath and judgment of God is real. Stop and think about Nineveh. God was going to destroy Nineveh because of their wickedness, but yet they repented and God withheld. But God's wrath was ready to be poured out. God's wrath is real. 
Now, if you've got your Bibles, turn over to, to Revelations chapter 20. So I've already talked a little bit about this. But we look at, so we know there's a place called hell, and it's a place of torment. It's in a place where you remember things, and you remember your family, and you remember uh, the goodness of things, and yet you're still in this torment that never goes away, and you're in constant torment, pain and anguish and suffering. But yet, we get to chapter 20 of Revelations, verse 11. The Bible says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open, and another book was open, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And I want you to notice, it says the dead. As Christians, we're not dead, we're alive. We're alive in Christ. This is not a judgment for the saved. This is a judgment for the dead. The dead, remember death, remember what death is? Death is separation. It's those that are separated from God. They're being judged. That's who's being judged here. And this is a real judgment. This is really going to happen. And notice it says, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. Now, not to get too deep with this, and I don't understand it, but it's kind of interesting that it says the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and hell gave up the dead that were in them. So if you die at sea, are you in sea, and you don't die in sea, you're in hell? I don't know. But we know that the Bible says that whether you're uh, dead in the sea or dead in hell, you're going to stand before the judgment seat of God if you're not saved. And the Bible says, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, and this is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into that lake of fire. And do you think the lake of fire is going to be any more pleasant than hell? I don't think so. And for all of eternity, they're going to be in the lake of fire paying for their sins that they did while they were on this earth in this body. And this is the message. This is that terror of the Lord. That's a terror, if you ask me. The terror, knowing the terror of the Lord, knowing the judgment of God, we should persuade men that they don't want to do that. They don't want to be there for all of eternity. That's not the place where they want to exist. Because we're going to exist forever somewhere. We're either as saved, we're going to exist with Christ forever, as the unsaved or the dead, we're going to exist, they're going to exist in the lake of fire forever and ever and ever and ever and never ever be able to get out of it. Never ever to get over it. And it's our job as Christians to persuade them that that's real. To persuade them that there is a judgment that's coming upon them if they're not willing to accept Jesus Christ here. That's what they've got coming. And I mentioned a minute ago, I said, well, why would this God that's so just and why is this God that's so loving willing to do this? Well, it's because he's a holy God. He's a just God. You know, Romans 6.23, we read it a minute ago, says the wages of sin is death. Well, there's a payment that has to be paid. God can't allow that payment to go unpaid. If he did, would he be a just judge? Would You know, if, if somebody stood before a judge and they had committed all kinds of wicked atrocities, and they said, oh, no, you're good, just go. Is that a just judge? Absolutely not. Well, if God is a just God, which we know he is, then can he get a, let us get away with our sin? Can he let us get away without paying for our sin? No. 
That's why he sent Jesus to die on the cross, because somebody had to pay for our sins. And he's got the payment paid for. We just have to be willing to accept it. It goes on, his righteousness is put on us if we're willing to accept it. But those people that aren't willing to accept that, they're the ones that are going to have to pay for it themselves because they didn't accept the payment that Christ did on the cross for them. And that's our job as Christians. So tonight, the, the thing is, is it's like, if you're unsaved, are you willing to listen to the fact that God's got a punishment for you? If you're saved, who are you trying to get out of hell? You'll go back to our passage in Jude. It says, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Right? The fact is, there are some people we can show God's love to, and they'll believe, and they'll accept the message, and they'll get saved. But there's others that won't believe it. There's others that we're going to have to figure out how to tell them about the punishment of God, the fact that there's a place called hell, and they're heading for it. It's kind of like somebody heading down a road when the bridge is out, and you're trying to stop them. Hey, there's a bridge out. Are they going to listen to the message or go off the cliff? It's our job to convince them of that. 1 Peter 1, 15-21 says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father who, without respect of persons, so God doesn't care whether you're rich or poor, young or old, if you die without him, you're going to have to pay for it. Judges according to every man's work. Pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. He's saying, hey, you know what? There's a, there's a righteous judge that we're all going to have to stand before, whether it's the judge of our works or judge of our sins, depending on whether we're saved or not. He says, so maybe you ought to live your life like there's a God that you're going to have to stand in front of. Do you want to stand before him and say, hey, well, why didn't you witness for me? I was too scared. Maybe you should have been more scared of standing in front of the creator of the universe and, and serving him. He says, for as much as you know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversations received by traditions of your father. He says, we, didn't, we weren't saved by that, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot, who was verily was foreordained before the foundations of the world, God ordained Jesus to die on the cross for us before he created the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. He says, hey, I sent Jesus to die on the cross for you. He goes, so that you can have faith and glory in him. Are you taking him up? And the Second Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. See, God's promised us. He's promised us a place and home for those that are saved. He's promised us that if we call upon Him, He'll save us. And, and, and we know that the Bible says that God cannot lie. If He's told us these things, He's, he's going to do, do them. Are you willing to go out and tell others about it? And, you know, and the thing is, is He says, He's not willing that any should perish. He doesn't want any of us to go to hell. But if we don't accept Him as Savior, then that's what we, that's what we deserve and that's what we're going to get. Because again, he's the, the righteous judge. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loves us. He doesn't want us to perish. But that's what we deserve, right? 
And that's the message that we got to tell those around us. John 14, 6, Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. We know it's only by Jesus Christ that we get to God. And we know Romans 10, 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So tonight, if you're not saved, I plead you, beg with you, trust Christ as your Savior. If you are saved, if you had put your faith and trust in Christ, you know that you're going to heaven, you know that you're a child of God, then my question for you is, are you persuading men? Are you persuading your neighbors? Are you showing them the love and compassion that might save them? Are you showing them the fear of God that they have to fear the righteousness and the wrath of God? Are you showing them? Because you don't know how you're going to win them. You can win some with compassion and you can win some with fear. And you're not going to win everybody. God knows that. But it's our job to try. And so my challenge for you tonight is to think and to ask yourself, am I preparing to meet my Savior? Am I, am I saved? If I'm saved, am I ready to stand and show Him the works that I've done for Him? That's the, that's the thing we have to evaluate and that's, that's what we've got to determine is what am I doing for Him? Am I doing what he's called me to do? Or am I just, I'll say, plain Christian? I come to church, I read my Bible, I pray, but I'm not witnessing, I'm not an influence for him. If not, I would encourage you, come out soul winning on Saturday. Even if you've never done it before, we'll pair you up with somebody that has, and you can go out and pass out some tracks and show you how it's done. If you don't want to do that, there's other things you can do. The, the, um, the mugs, I'll tell you what, Brother Brian, I believe you were the one that started that. That, in my opinion, has been one of our most fruitful ministries over the last few years. And you stop and think about it. It's new people come to the community. They don't know what's here, but we've had so many people. And it's so easy, and it's, it's, it's just a joy to knock on somebody's door and say, hey, welcome to the community. Here's some gifts. Hey, can I tell you about our church? That's doing work for God. That's inviting people. That's showing Him the love. Now, I wouldn't go and knock on the door and say, hey, do you know you're going to burn in the lake of fire? That's probably not the right approach. That's not, you know, there's the right time for everything. But later on, when you get to know Him, and they say, well, you know, I just don't really know. Well, then you say, well, can I show you from the Bible what you're bound for? And in love, show them the fear of God. In love, show them the fear. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for your word. And Lord, I do think that there's so many times that I, I don't even think I know, Lord, there's so many times that we fail you in terms of the opportunities that you put in front of us to be able to be a witness for you, Lord. Whether it's showing somebody love or whether it's showing somebody the, the wrath that they, they are going to have to experience if they don't come to trust you as their Lord and Savior. Lord, I do pray that you'd help each of us to take these messages and to ponder on them and meditate on them, Lord, and to examine our own lives to see if we're truly being a witness for you, if we're truly looking forward to that day that we're going to have to stand before you and give an account of the works that we've done while we were here on earth. Lord, are we, are we truly living that life, Lord? And I pray that you'd just burden each of us for, for the lost, Lord, that you would burden us for our neighbors, for our friends, those around us. Lord, those that you just put across our path, Lord, help us to be good, faithful witnesses for you. Lord, I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.